everybody. Welcome to the Black Tribe and our third podcast, but our launching podcast. It's going to be a little tough today for us. Is uh, we're I'm here again with my beautiful bride, Lisa Marie. Hello. Hello, and we're um, we're excited that you're joining us. Uh, we're humbled, and um, but today we're going to talk about our son Michael, uh, how he lived, and and a little of how he died, and what who he was, and uh, and now how we've been transformed by his death. It's a six year anniversary, April seventeenth, just barely. Um, I had almost talked to him at 11.30 p.m. on the 16th, and at 12.05 I received a text and uh, he was gone. And um, so we're going to just kind of dive into this and do the best we can. Babe, are you ready? No. <laughs> Never ready for this. I, I go back and forth always between um, wanting this to be effective somehow, that Michael's story and our story will give parents hope. Um, and and give Michael a voice, but it is excruciating to relive the details. And just the past couple of weeks have been really, really, really rough. So yeah, it's a hard. It's a hard. April's always very difficult for us, especially on the day we never know. And you know, we had a lot of people that say, you know, and everybody will forget by the fifth year. You'll start to forget. It just simply has not been true yeah, for us. True. It's it's like it happened yesterday, and it's like it happened a hundred years ago. And sometimes we think we see him, and we just have to. We just have to weep. We just have to sob. We have to let the grief do its work. And I've learned, you helped me, you've taught me, Lisa, of how to grieve and how to walk this thing out. And so let's dive in. So I I will start. Michael um, was my second boy. Uh, our home life was tr- just really bad, tumultuous. We had fighting and the house would be broken apart. His mother uh, had severe mental illness and schizophrenia and borderline disorder and all kinds of things. And I kept thinking I had a Jesus complex that I could fix things. Um, Tyler, our oldest, really carried most of the brunt of that because yeah, he, he remembered the most of it. And But then came Michael, this bright, blue-eyed, blonde, beautiful boy that was just so full of life and so full of joy and just a stinker. <laughs> I mean, just, he would jump off of the eighth step, fly through the air without me even knowing he was going to do it into my arms. And and he would, then he'd go to the ninth step or he'd be up on the side of a, of a wall and he would just leap. Uh, I never had to convince him to, to jump into the water or to, to do anything. You just had to follow him. Uh, he was a world-class athlete. He's just... He was just a wild man, and he loved so well. He had such a deep mm-hmm. heart on him. And, uh, and you know, as he was growing older, and his mom and I had so many difficulties, and it was so unstable for him. I was in ministry, and um, he would travel with me, and him and his brother would get on the stage and wrestle, and they kind of grew up in this kind of famous, almost, atmosphere where they were treated like kings by everybody. Yes. And, and then along came his little brother, Caleb, and I asked Michael to go go get Caleb for me. And I'd hear this boom, 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 and it would be Michael dragging Caleb down the stairs and his head bouncing off of the steps. And Caleb's super tough, but sometimes he can't remember things. So. <laughs> part of the problem, probably right? probably part of the problem. And I'll, I'll never forget, there's a video I, I asked Michael. He was on a tricycle, and he's about three or four years old. And I said, hey, Michael, what's the most important thing to you in your life? And he looks at the camera and he says, Jesus Christ is the most important thing. And that's memories obviously been seared into my, my brain. But He said that he loves me. Yeah, and that, that he, loves he loves me. me. Yeah. And so um, 
we, we, we lost his mom. We had to fight and, and get custody and, and, uh, and got Michael. And then he was introduced to his what would become his new mother. Uh, it was really amazing that um, we would go camping, uh, as Lisa talked about on her last podcast of her testimony. And every weekend we would just get away and did a lot of boating and camping. And I'll never forget the day we were having a big mud fight on the shores of a lake in Colorado. There's not many of them. so, uh, <laughs> And uh, all of a sudden, the boys start calling you mommy. Yeah. And uh, throwing mud at mommy. And you became Michael's mommy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was six, six years yeah. old. Yeah, six. And he had a stable, constant, good, loving mother for the first time in his life. And, um, and you took him into your heart. Yeah, he definitely, he was definitely in my heart. He was the most difficult of the, the six kids to deal with because he was smarter than all of us. Uh, he was faster than all of us. And um, he had great arguments. I mean, just, always. wow, amazing. And I, I had to be, like, on my, I just always had to be on around Michael. But he had not had a lot of discipline or consistency, and so a big part of my mothering him was just to make him fall follow through. And so when he'd knock over a brother or sister when we were camping to get the, the marshmallows, I'd make him go back to the line. He couldn't believe it. <laughs> and one day it was like 10 times he had to go to the back of the line, and then he got it, yes. you know, and then he quit pushing people in line. And that was my relationship with him all the time. And um, Tell us about that um, time where you took the spanking for Oh, him. Lord have mercy. <laughs> this will be a controversial one. All right. That's all right. Uh, this is, I'm sorry. It's real life. It's what happened. We were um, in Steamboat Springs. Uh, there was a rodeo up there. We took the kids to the, the rodeo. rodeo yeah. And we had a little cabin we were staying at and four-wheelers and having a blast. And all the kids had been saving up their money for different things. They had chores. And Michael had wanted this. What was it? Like a little rubber, like it, it hit rubber bands. That's what it was. It was a wooden gun that the bullets were rubber bands. Yes. Which is not a good thing for, <laughs> for children Michael that age. It, for yeah. Michael. I mean, someone's going to lose an eye. Yes. But he saved up his money and he bought the gun. And then we went for a walk in a park and I saw this beautiful white church. And I love history. And it was all closed up and it had the sign out in front that said historical monument. And so we're holding hands and we're walking over there. And then I hear bang, bang. Bang! And it was like one of those dreams where your legs are in quicksand and you can't get there fast enough. And I ran around the corner to see Michael with just a, just intense anger on his face. Almost like he was in a trance hitting the, the side of this church with the butt of the gun over and over and over again. And I grabbed the gun from him. I looked at Gary and he's like, everybody in the car right now. So we all get in the excursion because we had to have humongous cars. And there was not a sound, not a peep. <laughs> and even the baby, even Noah wasn't making a sound. And Caleb, no, <laughs> Noah wasn't born yet. Was, oh, he Caleb, wasn't, that's Caleb right. was quiet. Right. That was the shocking oh, thing. That's what it was, yeah. Caleb never stopped talking. <laughs> and the girls were looking out the window, and everyone was afraid because we knew we got back to the cabin, there was going to be a family meeting about how you behave and how you treat other people's things and a spanking. And I remember looking in the rearview mirror over and over again, looking at Michael's face, and he looked so lost. Yeah. And he looked so sad. And I just started praying. I was like, God, how do I, how do I teach him how he has to behave and treat other people and treat people's things? But I don't want him to get spanked. His heart's broken. And the Lord said to me, My son took something upon himself that other people did. Wow. 
so we got back to the cabin and Gary gave the speech and talked about this is how we treat other people's property. Michael's gun has been taken away from him and Michael needs to have a spanking. And, and that's when I said, I really feel like I should take Michael's spanking for him. And um, so <laughs> Gary enjoyed it a little too much, but <laughs> I let he spanked me and then all the kids left. And um, I just sat down on the, on the ground and Michael crawled up in my lap and started crying. And he said, why would you do that for me, Mom? And I said, because I love you more than I love me. Yeah. And I remember we just held each other for, uh, it seemed like an hour, and just cried and cried and cried. And I felt like God healed so much of his heart and my heart that day. But I felt us melt together. And um, that's why I want all all moms to know if you're a stepmom or if you are an adopted mom or a foster mom, if you have the spirit of motherhood, children become your children. And yeah. I never understood that until these little boys came into my life. They are no different than the children that grew in my womb. No. I adore them, and they are a part of my heart, and they changed my life. Well, Jesus' dad was a stepdad, and, and you know David was Bathsheba, and that's where our line of Jesus came from. And so God uses—he uh, just brings his family back, and he makes his family, yes. and that's what he did with all eight of us. Um, when I got to adopt the girls and the yes. whole thing. So, all right. So Michael's growing up. I got to, I had the opportunity of coaching all three, all four of my boys <laughs> in football. Uh, I think for about 16 years throughout it all. Those were such great days. Such great, amazing. <laughs> so Just practices. And from little, I'd have to p- p- hit Michael. He was a running back. And I have to tap his right butt cheek to go right or left butt cheek to run he couldn't left. remember he, right or left. He didn't know right or left at the time. And, <laughs> but he was so fierce. He was fierce. He would give everything on the field. He literally, there's pictures of him. I'm sure you guys have seen him that know us. But where his, his eye stuff is just leaking down his face from his sweat. And he's just a little guy covered in mud and i would like if i yelled at him and got intense on as his coach he'd always go okay dad i'm doing the best like dad i'm doing the best i can <laughs> at like eight years old like he's crazy he would yell at me and a basketball he'd yell at me in the stands if i said something i he was just a he's a turkey and so he you know as he as he was getting older uh there was something really we saw two things we saw something extraordinarily special on mm-hmm. his life the call of god on his life and then there was this dark side where he had a hard time with discipline he self control he had a hard time with self control and he um in his sweetness he knew that he was going to be on this planet for a short time yeah at the end i'm going to write uh, read a poem that i i wrote about him but um, he just always thought, Dad, I have to do this. Mom, I have to do this because there won't be a tomorrow. And he, he always wanted to, to, had to go do stuff because it was the last chance he was ever going to have to do anything. He always, uh, it's flag day and these friends and the moon will never be aligned at this time again. I have to go do this. And yeah. they were simple things. It wasn't like he was asking for big things. But we're like, can't you just take a shower and <laughs> eat dinner with the family and go to bed early? Like, and he, like, can't you ever do that? But he just always like was trying to cram as much life in as humanly possible. Well, and, and that's why I had to, when I put him in bed, all three of the boys, I, I make up these missionary stories, adventure stories, 
and my boys would tell you the names of these these people of these two or these three boys that were on these trips just to calm him down enough yeah. so that he would go to sleep because he was just always on. He was my I couldn't give that kid sugar. No, high no sugar. sugar. He did not need he did not need anything extra to stimulate. He him. would get home from school. We I would get home from work. We'd go in the backyard and we'd play baseball yeah. or football or kickball or jump on the tramp for until it got dark. All with all five, all six of them. All six of them all the time. Noah would be crawling around on the grass. Eating grass. So, you know, Michael in Africa, he was 14. Mm-hmm. He uh, There's some great video of him uh, there. He would take uh, NFL players, people on vision trips, to see what we were doing with the orphans there. Yeah. And he would lead them around Africa, and they loved him. He was gone for a month once. Yeah, a whole month with a like, team. Could you call me, please? Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you're okay. And these people, these adults would come back and say, what have you taught this kid? He led us, and he wasn't afraid of anything. And they would just be in a, like speechless about what an amazing young man this kid was. Yeah. And, of course, I took that as a prideful father. I'm like, that's right. He's an amazing guy. And he kind of was the go-to to all the siblings, too, because when you have six kids, you know, two girls and four boys, you have all these different personalities. But Michael was the one that everybody loved and everybody felt safe with. Right. Which, that does say something about him because... One sister might be mad at another brother, but she knew she could walk in Michael's room and he would be nice to her. Michael was a nice person, not in the way of a fake person, but he was kind. He really was. Even though he was wild, he was kind. He never wanted anybody to hurt, and he was kind to his siblings. Well, when he wasn't beating them up, you know. Yeah, there was a time in Kansas City, he was just little on a tricycle, and he literally rode his tricycle down the side of this way too big of a hill at way too fast the tricycle falls apart breaks he gets <laughs> stitches i'm holding his chin together and literally run him to the hospital i mean this happened over and over and over with him and and he would get come home with stitches in his face and go right back to it and and this was just my life with him and he and i had such a sweet special relationship but in those days I was angry yeah. and I overdisciplined him and I and I didn't know how to help him process his pain and I didn't realize he had so much pain we didn't know we didn't know and so Africa was incredible we we he picks up rugby with his older brother Tyler and um, we moved back to Colorado Springs and you know there's these archetypes of men the warrior the lover the sage and and the, you know eventually when you get old the king and Michael and his brother really learned the warrior by picking up rugby. And they immersed their lives in fighting people mm-hmm. and playing rugby. And they became kind of the badasses of Colorado Springs. Yeah, they still kind of We had to meet families <laughs> consistently of people that Michael had just beaten up or we Tyra had sorry beaten up. And, re- and got a lot of gift certificates for a lot of people. A lot of people. But, you know, we were... Um, when I when we lived in Africa, I contracted a virus, and they could identify it as a virus, but they had no cure, no nothing for it. And I was got very I was bedridden for and hospitalized for three weeks when we were in Africa, and I'd never been sick before. And when we got back to the states, I had to get an operation, and I was sick for the first time in my life, yeah. and I was exhausted. And um, the girls were going through their things as being you know high school girls just regular life and having these wild brothers that kind of overruled and took yes. over everything. And, um, you know, Kayla was going through his stuff and Tyler was, Tyler was getting more angry and you were working all the time. And so 
it was a really hard season for our family, and we never gave up on um, being together as a family and fighting for our family. But I, we didn't know what to do. Well, we, we every Sunday, every Sunday, we'd all gather as a family. It was the law. First, you come home from church, you take a nap, yep. and then we gather, and it was like we called it the round table. Kids could tell us whatever they were struggling with, what they were angry with us. And uh, we would talk, and we j- we did that. We had family. We would make sure we had family meals yeah, together, meals. and and uh, the, the you know God was first. Uh, now there was one at one moment I was driving all eight of us to church, and and I literally heard the Holy Spirit say, "Are you going to take your family there again and tell them that's me?" Mm-hmm. And I said no, and I turned the car around, and we never went back to the no. box, what I call the box church. No. But we started having church at home. Yeah. We had church in Africa together because we couldn't go anywhere. And then all the kids would do their teaching. They would. They would give them something to study, and yep. they would go do it, and then they would present it to us. They would so. present it, and Michael would just preach, man. He would just go. <laughs> um, and so we get back, and we get kicked out of Africa. We come into, which is a whole other story we'll talk about at some point, but we, uh, we're back in Colorado Springs. The boys are fighting, but they're playing rugby. They're winning Every high school championship, uh, they literally get, Michael starts and so does Tyler, starts playing for USA Rugby. Uh, They get full ride scholarships. But we didn't know that he has secretly been going with his birth mom's boyfriend to raves and drugs. And and we did not see at Mm -hmm. 15, 16, he started to experiment with all kinds of things. No, and you, I, I always went to my older friends who'd raised children and said, okay, I have teenagers now, how do I do this? And they all said, talk to the parents. So I would talk to the parents every time he'd say, I'm going over so-and-so's house. Well, yes, the parents were home, but no, they weren't checking on the kids. No. And no, they didn't tell me they had a full bar in their basement. So I guess that's my bad or whatever. But um, I was pretty naive because I never did anything. And I was never really intrigued by dark things. And so it didn't occur to me that people were intrigued by dark things, but it also didn't occur to me that Michael would lie to me. Yeah. Because I didn't, I just didn't see him that way. I believed everything he told me. Well, he was convincing. He was a salesman. Yeah, well, and a, he's yeah. your kid. And a pure heart. Yeah, <laughs> he was my kid. I can't make girls. I can only make boys, by the way, folks. And uh, all of them look just like me, which is really sad. Awesome. Except at least Noah got some of his mom in him, and he's a, he's a beautiful. No, we. At about 17, he gets a moped, him and his buddies, and we know he's getting high basically every day. That was the first time, though, that we had seen the change. Yeah. And by the change, I mean he got skinny. Yeah. Um, he was wearing clothes with holes in them, and he has, was very particular. He um, smelled for the first time ever. I had never heard smelled that child smell anything but wonderful. And that was when we knew that this was getting out of control. And so... We would take his privileges away, take everything away. He would run away um, and go to his mom's house or whoever would give him whatever he wanted. And we would not be able to find him. Adults would lie for him. His friends would lie for him. And then when he got hungry and exhausted enough, he'd come back home. Yeah. And all of a sudden he'd appear. And I literally appear. Really? I'd like close the refrigerator and he'd just be standing there broken and weeping and I would hold him and we would pray with him and we would we would 
say, come on, son. It's, and we were so happy to see him because we didn't know if he was alive or dead. No. So it was, I, I, it's like anything, you can look back and say, what would I have done different? I don't know. No. We tried everything. And we were judged so harshly. And still, it's just amazing uh, what people say and can do. But we really didn't know what to do because we had done everything the book said to do. Mm-hmm. We were, uh, we stayed married. We stayed in. We were fully engaged. And uh, we, always, we always took him back and we always gave the household rules and he... He still was not an angry, unpleasant person to live with. No. And he still would come home from school and talk to me every day. Yeah. And he wasn't, he didn't shut off and just he in, didn't. In ignore us. He would just so, disappear and then. Yeah, and he'd then. disappear for weeks at a time and that wasn't good. Um, but when he would come home, he, we would get soft, sweet, open Michael again. Yeah. And so it always felt so hopeful that this was something that he had overcome. So at some point, we're going to um, have to talk about the really hard part. We're going to take a quick break here. One of our staff uh, from G42 is going to give you a little, little quick announcement here and kind of tell you what we're up to, where we're going, and some of our ministry stuff. So we'll be right back. Hey, guys. Major Step here. Just wanted to real quick break in and let you know that the Black's new website, GaryandLisaBlack.com, has officially launched. If you haven't checked it out, you definitely should. There's all sorts of new resources and old resources and uh, anything you could want from the Blacks, you'll be able to find it on the website. Even if you just want to get in touch with them, you'll be able to find contact information and whatnot. So if you haven't checked it out, you should scroll on over and do that. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay, we are back. Thank you so much, guys. We, Man, we love our staff here. They are precious, uh, and they love us so well. They're family. And we, they, are, they have become family. And so we call Major and Britt, who help us with all of this stuff, our, their last name is Step, so we call them our Step Kids. And uh, <laughs> they really have become spiritual sons and daughters with us. So, okay, Michael, so we see this change. We know the drugs. He's disappearing. Uh, he's... Gets a full ride scholarship for for rugby. We get him out to the school in St. Louis. Um, he gets worse. Well, the reason we were okay, uh, he kind of pushed the school real hard, and I think he was trying to get out of Colorado Springs. He never would be fully, fully honest. We never knew exactly what was going on, and there were some court dates and stuff that he had manipulated his way around, and so we did not know the fullness of everything that was happening, but. One thing that um, I've learned since then, which I was unaware of, is that when you have brothers and sisters that that are so close in age, they back each other up. Yes, they do. And so not only would Michael lie to us, but his brothers and sisters would lie for him so he wouldn't get in trouble. Yes. And that's what kids do. But it did, um, it did help for things to get more and more out of control. Yeah, and we really didn't know. Um, and obviously, there's so many things that, trust me, as a dad and as parents, we have searched and searched and searched our hearts, and we would have done so many things differently, um, but we didn't know. And uh, there's not an excuse for any of it, and we would never make an excuse for ourselves. 
ever. We uh, also have no judgment for anybody. No, we've become the experts. Anything. We get yeah. we get the texts and the calls every week now of a of a child that's taken taken their life, and we don't want to be these experts, but we get to be, and we're going to be, and we're going to always press into people's lives. And look, I just want to say this: if you live in Colorado Springs, especially North Side. The, uh, what we learned after Michael's death is the cartel camps out on our high school campuses. So Pine Creek has uh, Molly, which was what Michael got hooked to. And then you have uh, Cheyenne Mountain, who black tar heroin, and kids are getting arrested all the time. Air Academy High School with heroin. And just a few years ago, 40 kids went to prison for dealing heroin just on that one campus. And the, and the government doesn't get any help with the DEA, so they just come right up from Mexico, and they camp out about 100 yards off the, off the campuses, and you need to know that. And El Paso County, one of the worst counties in the country for teenage suicide, and this is a huge reason why, besides the religion and yeah. the religious spirit that's over the city. Um, and we, we'll talk about all that in a different podcast. But so Mike, law enforcement needs our help, not our criticism. Exactly. They are... They are, they are spread very very thin so this is not we, we, guys we've learned so much things that we can't talk about his death and, 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 and the reality of the city of Colorado Springs and where it started and then also in St. Louis um, but let's so he um, we got together for Easter well yeah but first he he uh, we got him he, he went he was he went back on a scholarship he was back and, and playing and kind of back at it before that what had happened is he stole a whole bunch of things from his friends his friends would show up on our doorsteps he was trying uh, to get out of the country and yeah. so he was going to steal enough things to buy a plane ticket to go to Amsterdam and he was going to stay high and minister to all the people that were high yeah. and he thought it was a great idea that was his plan yeah. <laughs> and I, he didn't think that you know your passport if you are a felon at that point you will they will get you at the border so he did some jail time a couple days and we refused to get him out four days I left him in there we wanted him to feel the brunt of it and he would call everybody we've ever known except for you and I yes because he knew that we would say no you need to sit in this yeah. because he'd gotten away I do do think that him getting away with as many things as he'd gotten away with, with the help of other adults that should have been being adults. Being parents. Being parents. Um, I wouldn't do that to someone else's kid. No. I I wouldn't help a, a kid get away with something that they needed to learn the price for. Listen, if you're if you're a parent and your son or daughter is struggling with, with drugs or alcohol or whatever, or you know that your son or daughter's friends are struggling, you have to step in. We had parents lie to us all the time that came and confessed their lies to us after he was dead. Um, and I just want to encourage you, man, look at these kids' lives are precious. Suicide is not an option ever. Uh, and um, the reason why our kids are taking their lives is we're not giving them anything to give their lives to. Mm-hmm. The church has failed. Our, our education system has failed. And so we're on a mission. It, it, it does actually drive us. We're not doing it to try to fix Michael's death. Uh, but we know the call of God on our life. And we'll be talking about that a lot in our future podcast. But so he, um, he, went, to pr- he went to prison. It was mm-hmm. a prison. I went and he finally called me. I went and picked him up on the fourth day. I'll fourth never forget day. it. We didn't sleep for four days, but we were not going to back not slept. Down. He ran and jumped in my arms, and we held and wept in front of the prison door for I don't know how long, at least an hour, maybe longer. Um, we got in the car. He'd almost been raped. Uh, he got beat up. He was eating wet bologna and cheese sandwiches for four days. 
And uh, man, he was he, he was on fire. He was on fire. He was ready to shift his he whole life. He was going to get Bibles into every prison in America, <laughs> yes. and he was going to preach the gospel to every prison. He yeah, was, he was he going to go the prison ministry. Yep. That was it. That's he what he was going to do. And we were like, okay, let's do it. We'll help you with that. Come on, man. I went to Goodwill and bought a ton of Bibles. <laughs> and I went to the ministry, and I'm like, we need Spanish-speaking Bibles. We need all kinds of Bibles. Oh, like, we were gosh. all on board with it. Yeah, he knew, he knew the languages. He knew what we had to do. So he goes back out to school and he's playing rugby again so he went, went in January and then um, we talked so this talked is 2013 and I talked to him all the time and I noticed that his uh, speech patterns were getting different and he, he was paranoid he thought people were videotaping him and so I was talking to the counselors there and the teachers there on a regular basis, like, what is really, what's going on with Michael? He says he's starving. And they said, no, that's not possible. He has the biggest meal plan you can buy him. He can eat as much as he wants. And he thinks people are videotaping him. And it was just, he, something was really changing in him. And so we asked Quickly, him to yeah. come home for th- or for um, Easter. Yeah. And the second we saw him, we both started weeping Yes. because there was zero life behind his no eyes. No life. He had. He lost his sparkle for the first yeah, time. Yeah, some people ever. had gotten him some pharmaceutical drugs. So I don't know what. And happened. he was he was just not okay. He wasn't there. But we sat at the table uh, Easter 2013, and he shared with us everything he had been doing. He created this whole underground kind of movement where he was the kingpin, and he was making tens of thousands of dollars and spending it all on drugs. Uh, he was very deeply involved with the cartel. And he'd been doing just some really bad things that we had no way deeper than he could get out. Got into way too deep, uh, which he would never recover from. And but he told us everything. But as the last thing he said, he came back into the kitchen and he said, Daddy, please don't send me back to school. I, I won't make it. And, you know, it's one of those things as a father that if you could have that day again, you know, you take it every time. Every single time I would take that day back if I could. But I said, son, you need to go. You've got to finish school. You've got to finish playing rugby and we'll deal with everything this summer. And he said, dad, I'm not going to make it. I said, yes, you are, son. We always make it. We're blacks. We overcome. And he got into the car and he looked back at me as he was driving, as, as his brother was driving him away. And I literally knew it was the last time that I'd ever see him. I knew that I would never hold him again, touch him, smell him. I would never hold him again. And I almost ran the car down. I don't know why I didn't. I honestly don't know why I didn't. Um, But he was gone. And, um, you know, he got back to school. And it was incredible because the counselors at this school loved him and they called us all the time. They they answered all of our questions. And I I talked to the counselor. I think it was like April 14th or whatever. And she's like, he's doing really good. He's really nervous about this one exam. And so I talked to him about it and he called me at work and um, I was in a meeting and I didn't pick up and he was calling to tell me he got an A on that exam. Yeah. And that would have been about 1030 in the morning. Yeah. He got A on one and B on an English one. And he was so happy. He was so excited. So he's calling to tell us that. And then I was driving home from work, and I called him again. Yes, I used my cell phone while I was driving, and he didn't pick up. And I, the, more, the closer I got home, the more I had a sick feeling in my stomach. And we got ready to go to bed, and I said, babe, there's something off with Michael. Well, you knew the sick feeling because you lost John. I know, you lost I your know first the first husband, feeling. and you knew, right? I knew something was really wrong, and so you, you called him. 
and then we went to sleep. Yeah, it was about 11.30, and I knew by Holy Spirit to call him, and he didn't answer. And then uh, we went to bed, and then at 12.05, I'll never forget, I hear my phone buzz, and I look, and it says, Sorry, Daddy, I had to do this. And that's all it said. And... Say, I love you. I love you, yeah. Sorry, Daddy, I had to do this. I love you. And, uh, and then the phone started ringing... Nobody would tell us anything. So all uh, People started calling all of our kids who were living at home at the time, except for Tyler. And so they started coming into our bedroom with their cell phones saying, this person's calling, this person. Yeah, Caleb came and got us and said, you got to take this, Dad. It's And the first thing we heard that Michael had jumped off a roof. Yes. So we didn't know if he was just goofing around because he was not afraid to do those kind of things and sprained an ankle. We had no idea what had happened all we heard was michael jumped off a roof and so we were trying to get a hold of hospital trying to get a hold of anything it was probably probably took what three hours before we got an answer finally i was i was yelling and screaming at the hospital at the police and finally the um tyler's calling me screaming and yelling with like 30 or 40 people trying to get into the emergency room where michael was and they, 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 they put me through yeah. to a police officer on the ground, and I kept asking him, is he alive, is he alive, is he alive? And he finally said, the suspect is not alive. And I fell back against the wall, and I couldn't move. <laughs> uh, Lisa immediately went out. It was snowing, and she started raking the front yard. Uh, Caleb screaming from down in the basement. Emily screaming and just not knowing what to do uh this is about three in the morning now and um it you know to just even think about that moment again is just so overwhelming uh and we couldn't get to him we couldn't get to him he was in st louis we we couldn't get to tyler so tyler was going through this tyler was screaming and crying and had to deal with it by himself Right then. And, so we started uh, packing suitcases and throwing them in the truck. And then we wait. no, well, let's try to get flights. We can get there faster. And, I mean, we just couldn't even well, think you know, straight. Yeah, we got this incredible call from some, a pastor in Denver who loved our boys so much. His sons played rugby with our sons. Rick Schmitz, what an amazing man of God. And he said, my wife works for this airline, and we're flying you out there first thing in the morning, get to Denver. And so my, my girls drove me in a snowstorm, horrible blizzard. snowstorm, blizzard, to the airport. I flew in. Tyler was at the airport uh, waiting for me. We just held each other and didn't move. Seth Barnes, the, the, my ministry partner, our ministry partner that founded AIM, he beat me there. Uh, Chad Mast, one of our old world racers, drove down as quickly as he could from Indiana. And uh, Chad and Seth and Tyler just held me they they held me up i couldn't even walk i i'll never forget walking to the place where he died uh it was outside of his dorm room and he we're not going to describe the way he died it was a violent horrible way to die and there's all kinds of rumors about why he had to take his life the way that he did um and we don't know all those answers Mm -hmm. still and we don't need to know he's gone and and we know we have uh, a mission for him and for the rest of of the young people, this next generation. But one thing we will say is he he was absolutely determined to die. Yeah, he was he, determined to it die. It wasn't a cry for help. No. He absolutely was trying. He was going to make sure that he did not survive That's that right. night. That's right. And, so and he, he had some antidepressants in his stomach is all thing. they could find. And, um, and when I looked at where he'd fallen from, he'd fallen down four stories, and 
and uh, the blood, there was blood all the way down, and there was one purple flower growing where he hit. And I don't know why, but that purple flower was just bright, and I just fell, I just fell over, and Seth and Chad and Tyler just held me and kept me uh, up. And, uh, and, and, and then the, 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 the most horrible part was going into the morgue, to identify him and they had had to put a collar around his neck and and put some things around him and I couldn't go in the room but the the guys carried me in there and then I asked them to leave and I went over to lay hands on him to to literally ask his life for his life back I thought God if you can raise the dead you can raise my son and when I touched him he was cold and I went into shock I, I just I, I I just was done at that moment and um it's something that I would never want a father to go through, a mother to go through, a brother or a sister or an uncle or an aunt. Um, the reason why we are so passionate about the next generation is because we want to give them something worth dying for. And it's called Jesus Christ, but it's not the Jesus Christ that we've given you in the church. It's not this watered down angry God that you get to do something for and just sit in a pew on a Sunday. Uh, we serve a God that's so much greater and bigger than you've ever been told, I promise you. And he really is a good, good father. We, we will talk about that a lot through our podcast. But um, man, we we just about didn't make that, did yeah, we? Yeah, it was uh, such a hard decision because my mother's heart wanted so desperately for somebody to be with Tyler immediately because he was going through this alone. And, um, but I didn't, I, we couldn't imagine dragging the rest of the family out there and all the trauma that was waiting for us. No. So we thought the best thing that could ha- should happen was me stay behind with the little kids and Gary get on the plane. And that was hard to say goodbye to you that day because I needed you desperately and I needed your strength and, um, we kind of had to go through that alone, and the bits and pieces of information that came in over the, the days and weeks to come, people were amazing. Our community, community showed back showed up. Back people up who and, hadn't talked to us, or, I mean... Yeah, it was amazing. Hundreds of people. people showed up with food and a bottle of scotch or whatever it was. They showed up. And and then his memorial service, which we were still in shock and pretty numb, but I... I'm 3,200 kids? Yeah, I don't know. We filled up New Life Church... Um, and uh, we don't remember much of it, but there was such a celebration. His rugby team did the um, the dance, the New Zealand the dance, haka. the haka on stage. Almost knocked his uh, his ashes off of the table. We had to have him cremated because the the death was so violent. And um, you know, <laughs> there was people in our lives that came around that would teach us to breathe again and. And held us, and and the worst thing you can do. I just want to say this to people who are dealing with anything like this: don't quote scripture at somebody who's just lost someone. That's really important to them. Please, if someone wanted said eight, Romans eight twenty eight to me again, I would have punched them. Um, don't try to fix it by telling them that you know they're in heaven and you'll be in eternity with them, and you just need to move on. And it, that doesn't help. 
all that helps is you sit in their pain with them and you listen. Yeah, exactly. And until they're ready to start walking somewhere, you just sit and you're just there. Lonnie Dyer would show up at 3 a.m. The Irwins. The Irwins. Mike Paschal would call me and breathe with me, literally. And Tom and Emily Davis and the Barneses. And they just, all these people would just show up when we needed them. And uh, there were so many. I know that I'm missing so many, many people that that, that did it. Our kids, uh, you know, we had to stay stable to keep our other kids going and alive. And and they all grieved differently. Yes. And they all expressed themselves differently. And they all went through their own journey. But life has a cruel way of going on. And everybody had to go back to work. And everybody had to go back to school. And we were, I think we were already exhausted from the, Michael's battle long before he died but this was this this was just like a a punch in the gut and I think the reason it gets harder not easier because I do believe that we can heal from our grief but Michael had great influence and he was 19 years old and he had something and he had a purpose on this earth that nobody else has and every year that goes by is another year that I've not heard his voice I've not been inspired by how he loves people I've not got to have a conversation or have a cup of tea with him. And so my grief is settled into the fact that I know I'm never going to see him alive on this earth again. And I've had to go on with my life, but my sadness of missing him gets worse all the time. Yeah. And I think that's what people don't understand. Yeah. And everybody dies. And that's a part of life. Gary's mom just died not too long ago, and, and we dealt with that. My sister just died. And his sister just died, and, and we went through that normal kind of grief process. But when you have a 19-year-old that has promise on his life, that has gone to a place of such deep hopelessness, the only way out is to cause his own death. It's absolutely devastating. Well, and and it's unacceptable. (laughs) It's not an option. It's just not an option. It's not an option. You know, guys, we have allowed uh, this pain and the pain of losing our spouses and and 18 years of battling as a blended family and, uh, you know, trying to keep our own kids, other our five surviving kids thriving, and they all are. They're all doing amazing. Uh, you know, we, we've had to allow the pain of Michael to transform us. We could have become very bitter. We could have become very angry. We could have pointed the fingers at God and at the cartel and at the police and everyone else. We could still be blaming everyone. We could grow old, bitter, and angry. And what we have had to choose, it's a choice every day for us, is to not anesthetize the pain of his death, not to push it down or try to make it go away by drinking too much or doing drugs or whatever it is, getting on some pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah, we. what we've chose to do is sit in this pain and allow this pain to transform us. We either transmit our pain onto others or we're transformed by it. And this is the deepest, most horrible pain. I thought that my divorce was the worst pain I'd ever feel, and it wasn't even close. And Lisa thought being widowed was the worst thing, and that wasn't even close compared to what it was to lose Michael the way we did and just to lose him, period. But I I just want to encourage you that... um, you know, three and a half years now we've been in Spain, we have, we learned to sit in it and we've learned to allow it to become a gift for others. And man, that's what I, we, we want you to take away from this story, that Michael's life is a tribute to pain, to anguish, to mental illness. He told me one time, he said, Daddy, I'm, I'm starting to act just like some people in our, in our family, in our life, and my mind's starting to do tricks on me like they did hers. And he said, I don't want to live like that. Yeah. 
And so he had a, he made a horrible, hard choice. Uh, and it wasn't like Lisa said, a cry for help. It was it was a, a deliberate choice to, to die. And I, I want to tell you, it, 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 it is a choice we all are going to have to make in life. We The pattern of life is that we're born and we die and we're resurrected. And we're allowing Michael's death to resurrect a generation. We're going to fight for Michael's friends and we're going to fight for Michael's siblings. And we are going to fight until we die. We're going to fight. We're going to fight for this He generation. sat on his dorm room floor with his head between his knees and he rocked for three hours and no one asked him. One of his buddies told me this. Nobody asked him what was wrong. And we will never leave another young person rocking there by themselves. And so we are on a mission. We're on a mission to tell the truth about who God is, who Jesus Christ is, because you've been lied to by the church, you've been lied to by people, and then give you something worth dying for. Absolutely. Give you something that's much bigger than what you've ever dreamt or imagined. So, hey, thanks for going on this little journey with us. This was a hard one. I mean, it was a tough one. Yeah, but we held it together. We did pretty good. Sure, we did. I'm proud of us. <laughs> We're still here. Hey, guys, we love you. We're still here. We're not going anywhere. Lisa's going to get a tattoo. We're still here, bitches. I'm not getting any tattoos. <laughs> and uh, we're going to keep fighting. So, you know what? If you need anything, uh, you can message us on Facebook. If we're Facebook friends, uh, we have a website that you can contact us through. Um, if you're a parent and you're struggling, let us know. If you're a young person, man, let, we can get you help. We've got people in about every city and every country now around the world. So we love you. Love from the Black Tribe. Hashtag MRB, Michael Ryan Black. Hashtag love like Mike. That's what his the theme of his life was. So we're going to love like Mike. God bless you guys. Thank you.